Oh, I do have a recap on the Sherman Antitrust Act. Did you see that? They, uh, the ban didn't go through. The Oscars okayed Netflix uh, for Oscar nomination. Next year, nominated for Best Picture, Roma 2. Ugh. The DOJ scared or, or, them. You know what? This time it's personal. You know what? <laughs> They're going to do a prequel because that's the trend now. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to see more of that little town, that dusty little town that she's from. Walter would not. <laughs> well, you know what I'm really scared of is they're actually going to make a prequel to Roma pre-Roma you heard it here first it's, it's, it's going to be in color pre-Roma <laughs> nice <laughs> or a sepia tone or something yeah, like oh. that right? or, or they'll do it silent oh. that's it Black yeah one step silent. back you got to go one right, step exactly. back it's called the MacGuffin Report movies TV American culture from LA, the MacGuffin Report, produced by Inclusive Media. This episode, Infamous versus Famous, Code Switching, Sorry to Bother You, Shazam. Is infamous the same as famous? Should you have to be good at something to be famous? Oz. Uh, as to the first question, like I often say in these situations, you know, ask O.J. Simpson. I think he'd rather be famous than infamous at this point. Um, but more to the, to the more serious second question, um, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter anymore, and this is due to reality TV. We've gone from, if, if you look at reality TV as an extension of game shows, okay, then you consider what game shows were like, even in the radio days, but especially in like the 50s and 60s in America, they were all about people showing their genius, right? It was all about people showing how good they were at something, usually something about intelligence, right? And it's gone to just being, I mean, like the example I always give is Boston Rob. You remember Boston Rob? You remember this guy? Okay, yeah, right. He was on one season of like, I think it was Survivor. He plays like in the middle somewhere. You know, he's the stereotypical Boston guy. He's the Boston Red Sox cap and all this crap, you know, making, making New Englanders look bad. Thank you very little. And, uh, and then, but he parlayed this into a gig on like the great race. <laughs> Whatever it was, it's like, why? How did, why did he get this second job? Because of the first job. And he got the first job because somebody thought he was marketable. That's it. Not that he was good at anything. Not that he was clever at anything. But that he was marketable. So this, it really kind of irks me. Because there's a lot of hardworking people out here. Hey, my co-host. Two of my co-hosts are. There's a lot of hardworking oh, thanks, people Oz. trying to get into the industry <laughs> here. And like, you know, doing a, doing a proper job. Trying to get on proper TV. Proper film. And, and, you know, there's all these jokers out there, you know, who are willing to strip down to nothing on TV, you know, and, and, and they get the jobs. It's like, what? I mean, I just, I just don't think it's fair. And I think it shows, like, how low our society can get sometime, greater society can get sometime with what we'll accept as friggin' entertainment. Uh, the first question, is infamous the same as famous? Uh, no. Should you have to be good at something to be famous? Yes. Do you mean expound on that? <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, infamous, I feel like. <laughs> Next you, episode. You, you had to, yeah. <laughs> infamous, infamy, you have to have done something wrong, I feel like, to be infamous. And then um, I think the result is the same for both these uh, terms, infamous and famous. 
The results are the same, but how you got there is where I think it differs. Um, should you have to be fam- good at something? Yes, I, I, I believe you should. Uh, I, th- I think just by virtue of a sex tape shouldn't make you famous and give you a... Now, there's a, another one. Yeah, yeah multi-billion yeah. dollar career. How did the Kardashians get so famous and so much money? Paris Hilton. Yeah, I mean, there, there was... I remember my boss asking around that time because Paris Hilton had sex tape, Kim Kardashian had one, and I think a couple others had sex tapes. And we were talking about this, and my theory on why there were so many sex tapes was is that they these girls got together and said... They had like an initiation and they're like, hey, you got to do this. You got to do that. And one of the things was a sex tape. And then that's for me, that's the only plausible explanation as to why all of them got released around the same time. I really think I agree with you there. I really think a lot of these are planned out publicity stunts. Oh, yeah. And then they became and then, you know, they became uber famous. Um, I mean, before then, no one really knew or cared to know who the daughter of Hilton was. Or who the son of the, these shipping magnets were. Nobody cared to know who they were. But then once these sex tapes got released, it was like, oh my God, that's the shipping magnet's son. Oh, that's the hotelier's or you know, a daughter. Blah 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 blah. All these things started happening, um, and then that sprout about the Kardashians, the the daughter of the famous uh, lawyer who um, you know got our one of our number one tailbacks out of jail because the glove didn't fit. Um, Robert Kardashian. <laughs> and yes. so I think, you know, it, it's just, we, we, we've basically, we're succumbing to the lowest common denominator by having created these monsters. And we have no one to blame but ourselves. But we can't fix it. We just cannot. We cannot get rid of the Kardashians, even if we wanted to. I mean, the, was it the youngest daughter or one oh, of the daughters yes, a billionaire? We can. Oh, yes, we can. See, the nice thing about all this stuff is it doesn't take a lot to bring down anybody. You know, really. Yeah. It, well, except for a couple of politicians I might name. Uh, but, you know, it's really easy. You make one bad tweet, you make one bad remark when you've had too much to drink, or you've blown too yeah, much coke but like Jason Richards. The Kardashians <laughs> have, they've, they've, they've weathered a, some down. of these storms. They've weathered some of the, yeah. the tweet storms. They've, yeah, they've weathered some. They're somewhat Teflon. I mean, I, I do agree what they are good at, um, what they're like, they're regime is good at is, is marketing they are really good at it. they're good Social at weathering these storms yeah. yeah um and then you know and then all of a sudden kim gets married to kanye like the big one of the biggest rap stars and then it's like now like where, where can they go wrong if at all that one of the daughters is a billionaire a uh, quote-unquote self-made uh, when she was at 900 i think 75 million they started a gofundme page her fans did <laughs> so that she can get the remaining 25 million to become the billionaire um, so, it, uh, you know, and this I know is our fault, guys. Uh, yeah, this and, is I, our fault. and I know every generation. Under President <laughs> Sanders, this becomes illegal. <laughs> this sort of thing becomes illegal. And, and I know, like every generation says that theirs is the worst, and it's the worst and end of times. And I don't know if it's the end of times, but we're. And I don't know if it's the worst of times, but it's pretty bleak when it comes to fame, and like what it used to be. I, I think Aaron, Aaron Sorkin wrote this great line. I think it was in Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip or was it West Wing? Oh, it was West Wing. It, um, when Emily Proctor's character, they were uh, trying to hire her for the White House and um, her friends are like, you're going to be famous now as a political commentator. And she's like, really? Because I thought before you had to sing and dance to be famous. <laughs> and I thought that was a great line. Like that's one of the, it's a great penultimate line uh, for what Aaron Sorkin, when he writes. And I thought, to me, that should kind of be the guideline for who should become famous. Um, is hmm. you're entertaining, uh, and I'm speaking within the realms of entertainment. You know, obviously there's famous people like scientists and 
uh, politicians and whatnot. But in terms of entertainment, I feel like, yeah, you got to sing. You well, you should dance, be good. You gotta, yeah, right? you gotta, and you got to be Look, good. Yeah. Ideally, everybody wants a meritocracy. Ideally, everybody yeah. does. Unfortunately, that's incompatible with freaking capitalism, and it's certainly in, 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 you know, incongruous with consumerism, mm -hmm. which is what we seem to be locked into right now, even on TV. Well, especially on TV. Like the closest meritocracy is sports. Professional sports. That's the closest. Yeah. I don't even think it's a wrestling. Well, <laughs> wrestling's come out and said they are entertainment. <laughs> even though the ones before were real, right now it's fake. With Hulk Hogan and Junkyard Dog, that was real. Oh, yeah. Jimmy Snuka. <laughs> and Tito, Tito uh, Santana. Yep. Jimmy Superfly Snuka, the Tongan kid. Tiger Chung Lee, the one Korean guy, but he was the bad guy every time. Uh, but those are real, but now it's fake. Sorry, I've, got uh, a, I've gotten us on a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I do think, though, that um, you got to do something. You got to be good at it. But yeah, meritocracy, the only closest thing is sports. And I don't even know if that's the case. Yeah. But Well, ask, ask Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. But, like, but people, the general population believes that every other industry that they're not in is a meritocracy. And they believe mm -hmm. entertainment mm -hmm. is a meritocracy, mm -hmm. which it's not. Mm -hmm. And no matter how much you tell them, they don't believe you. They go, no, the cream rises to the top. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's not how life works, uh, and especially in entertainment. But yeah, there's oh, my long-winded answer. This is, this is so depressing. I don't even want to think about it, let alone answer the question. <laughs> it's really <laughs> depressing to me. I mean, part of it is a lot of people blame my generation and the generation after us, which is partly why this is so depressing to me. Is infamous the same as famous? No. Um, I feel like this is uh, advice that a dad would give his kids what kind of attention do you want? Mm -hmm. If you were going to get attention, what kind of attention do you want? Yeah. That'll be my answer for that question. Um, should you have to be good at something to be famous? Does marketing yourself count as being good at something? Right. Right. Because nowadays, yeah. you sit in on, I don't know, you go to Starbucks and you listen to a couple of Joes talking about wanting to start a production company or something or wanting to start this or that start a business and realizing they're talking about getting clicks they're talking about getting yeah. eyeballs that's what this has been reduced well, to yeah. whether or not that's good that's what this is made of it's 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 in the numbers here it's it's not only just marketing it's speed yeah mm -hmm. i mean i i worked in journalism for a very long time and it got to the point where getting it out quicker was At the a right lot time. more important yeah. than writing a nice thousand word think piece mm -hmm. yeah. you know, no matter what medium you're in and that's why print died <laughs> you know to be honest print mm -hmm. news died you know so speed 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 get it out now even if it's not true <laughs> even if it's, yeah even if yeah. it's semi-true it was kind of like what happened with uh, aziz ansari that whole mm -hmm. all of that drama it came out oh. really quickly nobody had a chance to look at it to see what was actually going yeah. on and look it's, what happened yeah, i think to me the great marketers it's great that they're great at it but it's they're monkey oil salesmen because when you click on their stuff, the content is nowhere near as strong, but they're just great marketers. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. comedians, we have a we have an issue where um, their comedians are great marketers and their shows sell out, but they're not good comics. Mm -hmm. and the comics are good, they're not good marketers because the reason, there's not enough hours in the day to be great at two different crafts. There's just not enough hours. There's, there's comics that, are, that get lucky and they, they're good at both, but it's rare. That's where an agent and a publicist come in, though, right? Yeah, if you can get, if you, you have can to have get a good those. team. Yeah, you gotta have a good team. But if that's if you can get it, but a lot of these Instagram quote unquote famous people, because uh, they're insta famous, because uh, they're great marketers. <laughs> insta. -famous. Yeah, but their content, it's just like their photos. 
They're, they're, it's not, you know, I mean, you look at, like, I was watching a great playoff game last night, the Portland Trailblazers against the Denver Nuggets. All these, it was a, trip, a quadruple overtime. People are, have their phones out shooting, like, their view. And I'm like, you guys understand that the, the professionals at ESPN do a much better job of capturing <laughs> the game than you with your shaky hand. I don't care how much of your stabiliz- image stabilization your phone has. It's way better. The quality is better. The lighting's better. They've got those three-yard lenses. Yeah. And like, it's like you're at the game. Enjoy the game. But the, the front like four or five rows, all these people have their phones out. And it's like because they want to be the person that gets all these clicks. Instagram starts with yeah. an eye. Yeah. Instagram yeah. starts with ah, an eye. That's really good. It it's that. about great. you. It's yeah. about you. you yeah. Know? And, and there was there was a great piece that came out from Emma Thompson and she was talking about how she hated that a lot of casting is run by your Instagram followers. Yes. A yeah. lot of casting oh, yeah. will go with the person that has the most amount of followers, regardless of talent, yep. regardless of training, regardless of how you appear on mm-hmm. camera, like on video. If you've got the perfect filter and yeah. all the followers. That's how they book comics too. Oh, how many, gosh. how many Twitter followers, how many Instagram followers? Oh, sure. I have? believe it. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've been in a number of writing contests where that's an element of it. Mm-hmm. You have to participate in the forums. You have to retweet. You have to um, review stuff. The more, the better, you know, again, be active, whatever. And, and that, <laughs> that weighs into the decision. They take that as part of the decision. Which, you know? Yeah. It's to me. And that's bizarre. And, just unfair because it has, well, one has like nothing said, to do with the reality. It's yeah, reality. and it's, it's the reality now. So, Walter, I wanted to ask you, like, as a comic, are you marketing yourself on Instagram to get the followers? I try, mm-hmm. but it's I, I'm not. A part of me, I don't know enough about how to do it. Yeah, and then the part that does know how to do it is like, but what does this have to do with being a comic? A good and comic, it, and it doesn't. And so there's in a semi protest, which is a detriment to me, I don't do as much as I probably ought to, uh, and with regards to Instagram and Twitter or whatnot, uh, because to me, they have nothing to do with one another. Um, it, it'd be like if someone said, oh, that's a that guy's a really good comic. How do you know? He's, he dresses well. Like it's got nothing to do with, with the other, but we've made it so they're correlated. Right, because the assumption is if you have a lot of followers, there must be something good to yeah, follow. Which is which is a false syllogism. Or you're going to bring people there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the main you're thing. You're an influencer. Yeah. yeah, you're an influencer, quote unquote, and you're going to bring people. And you bring the want. eyeballs. It's yeah. all about money. Mm-hmm. It's all, And I know it's all about money, but there was a time in America where it wasn't all about money. It was about quality. And we've long since like passed that, where it's now only about the money. Content quality doesn't matter. As long as someone bought it already, leave it up to them to return it. Whether it works or not doesn't matter because I need to make my, my dollars. And, and I think quality has gone out the window. Hashtag make entertainment great again. <laughs> what is code switching and does everyone, including white people, code switch in America? Yeah, let's talk about code switching. Um, just to put this in context, we watched Sorry to Bother You, and the premise is based off of code switching, essentially. Like, that's the main engine of what incites the events. Um, code switching, does everyone do it? I think so. I think we, I think that's our kind of our way of survival, or way, not survival, but our way of being liked by multiple groups of people, because we have to interact with so many groups now, or so many types of people, you're not just interacting with your family, your extended family, the small tribe of people that you have where, you know, 
you split up half for you half of you go gather half of you go hunt everyone knows you everyone knows everybody but now because we have our social life segmented i think a lot of us are doing it yeah i think everyone does it um and i feel like even the people that criticize those that code switch um they do it without even knowing or admitting that they do it uh they, they call it rather than code switching they're calling it what misappropriating accents or dialects mm-hmm. to, to make it seem mm-hmm. like you're, you're with them. Yeah, cultural yeah a good example that we had a while ago in the good old days is Obama. Mm-hmm. Like, and currently AOC, mm-hmm. when she was speaking to an all-black uh, congregation or, or constituents or whatever, and then she sounded, quote-unquote, more black. Yeah, let's put she, heavy quotes on Yeah, that. and then she got you know criticized for that. And then um, I think with Aquafina. In Crazy Rich Asians, mm-hmm. they were saying how she was misappropriating culture, even though she's from mm-hmm. the area where they speak that way. And and I, one of the writers who wrote about this was this Indian uh, uh, woman from UCLA Law School. And I want I would love to have ask be able to ask her: Do you speak the same with your family that you do with your law your co your your colleagues your law school colleagues, or when you're at an internship at a law firm? Do you speak the same way? I'm gonna bet she doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, she speaks differently to all these different groups of people. I think we all do it to a degree. Um, I know for one thing, if like people say, well, Asians, they, they, they sound black at times. And I think, yeah. And I, I, I bet if you watch a, a basketball game with them, they will speak more black because there's black people on screen. But those same Asians watching a World Cup soccer game with Korea in it, they won't sound black. So I think it's just it just kind of naturally happens. It's one of those things. I think it, we do it to, I think wh- white people probably think they don't do it, but I bet you when they speak in a professional uh, forum, as opposed to with their friends or family, they sound, or family, they sound different. The comfort level is different. Every, to me, I believe everyone does it to a degree, whether they know it or not. Some people, I do it to a very extreme degree. What if I'm performing in front of black people, I sound a certain way. If I'm performing in front of uh, Latinos, I sound a certain way. It's, and it's uh, one of the uh, reasons uh, I do it, and I know generally what they talk about is that it helps you um, assimilate better, and sure. it helps you be more yeah. welcome. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it's, I don't... Uh, what they call that the Zelig principle based on the, the Woody Allen film about an uh, actual human chameleon, a guy who enters a social, a social situation and becomes the same as the people that he's with. Oh, you uh, mean Master of Disguise? <laughs> oh, is it? I'm kidding. No, no, no. Is it? No, no, no. Terrible no, movie. I mean, he literally, it's, it's, it's kind of, it was when Woody was in his magical realist phase. Mm-hmm. But, you mm-hmm. know, they show bits and there's a bunch of kosher rabbis and then he's there and then they show him through time lapse becoming, he grows the beard and he has the hat on it. I've never heard of this. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, but it's, in, in psychology now, they actually have a term for this. It's the Zeligism or the Zelig principle or something like this, where people are chameleons, right? Mm -hmm. They tend to do that in order to, you know, blend in, in order to not be harmed. I mean, on a survival level, that's what we're talking about, right? So, you know, don't hurt me. I'm your friend. I sound like you. You know, it's that kind of stuff. So, so I don't really want to be pedantic. I mean, the truth is, in every social situation, in every relationship, you're a different person. You are. Mm-hmm. So let's not be pedantic about it. I think when 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 they talk about code switching in reference to this movie or whatnot, um, you know, it's we're talking about the negative aspects, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about how in in this movie, the dude had to code switch to be successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, like like for example, okay, here's my experience. I guess. You could call it code switching. When I'm with my parents, I don't swear. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, how old am I? Yeah. <laughs> I'm too old to be doing that kind of to be curtailing my language, but it just happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I've been doing it for so long now I can just flick, flick that off, you know, like a remote, you know? And so I guess I do that. But, but I think that like what we're really talking about is, you know, the greater societal kind of stuff, you know, like why should you have to? do this Mm -hmm. you know it's one thing if you're doing your act you know it's one thing if you're in a social situation you know but it's another thing when you're like trying to advance yourself in the world i heard this really good thing there's this good uh i'll I'll try and get the the link to it or whatever but there's this really good thing that explains what is racism versus prejudice and why people say that a person of color can't be racist okay here's the thing racism is empowered prejudice Okay, it works like this. Let's say a black person wants to get a loan at the bank. Black person is driving to the bank, right? I hate white people. I hate white people. I can't stand white people. Okay, they may still get the loan. Truth is, if that banker is a white guy and says, I don't like black people, she's not getting that loan. Period. (laughs) That's racism. That's racism. It's empowered prejudice. And that's the difference. That's, That's the kind of... Uh, code switching I think that that you got to talk about I think a little bit differently about the prejudice and racism to me racism is um, a blanket like I don't like this person because he or she is white black comma looks like yeah xyz and then to me prejudice is is uh, at least for me is is like okay well yeah black people white people they're going to do this because this person's going to act this way because he or she is white or black like I'm prejudging what how they're going to act or behave but me liking this person based on, or not liking this person based on what they look like, to me, it, well, I, that's how I differ racism and prejudice. I'm highly prejudicial because hmm. it's just really fun. Um, but I love everybody, <laughs> but I'm highly prejudicial. Like, I wouldn't say I'm racist, but I'm highly prejudicial. Um, I mean, my, my black friend got this great joke. He, he, he asked the audience, if you guys are walking down the street at night and you see a black guy with a hoodie on coming in, coming, walking towards you, how many of you would cross the street? No one raises their hand because it's, it's, a, it's a highly racially charged question. And then one guy will raise their hand. He goes, all right, so just me and him will walk across the street, you know, because he's, he's black too. Mm-hmm. And so to me, why I love that joke is it's the prejudicial, like how we view a black guy in a hoodie. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. prejudice. If it was a white guy in a hoodie, we prejudge, oh, it's just a white guy in a hoodie. Now, if the black guy asks me for something or like, I'm basing how I respond to him on his color. To me, that's like racism. But if I'm basing what his behavior may or may not be, I, I look at that as prejudice. Hmm. That's the way I look at it. Hmm. Like it's one, like the prejudice is, determines in my mind, right or wrong, what their behavior is going to be. And I'm probably wrong most of the time. But yeah, I guess. That's I mean, the way I differ. I lived in Europe for a long time and it's tough not to stereotype. It's tough. Because it's, it's fun. Tough. That's you meet, people... Well, you meet enough Germans and yeah. you get to the point where you get to the point where they all freaking say it's better in Germany. You know, they do, yeah. you know? I mean, it's just you can't help it. But but again, I think racism is that is the is the sword. You know, racism is the power. You know, that's like Yeah, that's what I agree with that part. The empowerment that's what you're motivated, saying. Motivated, you know, prejudice. You know, that's like active prejudice, yes. if you will. You know, it's a verb. That's great. I think that's a great <laughs> way know? to put it. The, it's the active. To racism. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I racism, you racism, he we racism. All, yeah. Sorry to bother you is written and directed by Boots Riley. It stars Lakeith Stanfield and Tessa Thompson. 
Uh, it's an absurdist comedy set in Oakland that seems to be inspired by Charlie Kaufman's screenplays with a nod to magical realism. It is the first film of writer-director Boots Riley, who is also the frontman of the rap group The Coup. Interesting tidbit, Patton Oswalt and David Cross are dubbed white voices. Oz, what did you, how did you feel about Sorry to Bother You? Well, I, I, I love this movie. I recommended it for this podcast. We should say that, what, it's available on Hulu and what? And Amazon Prime, right. Um, this movie, in my opinion, this movie was the get out of last year, of, of 2018, um, in that it kept you guessing. It was a total genre buster. I mean, first it's about this one thing, then it's about this thing, then it's about this thing. And, you know, <laughs> the left turn it takes for Act 3 is just bizarre. I mean, how knocked out were you? Very knocked point? out. Right. I, I went in thinking like, okay, I know the trailer moments. And I was like, whoa, hello, should have put my seatbelt on. Right. There's also this whole other bit. Oh, yeah, and then this bit, which is like science fiction land, okay? It's like, Whew, we, we won't, we won't spoil ride. too much of it, but let's just say after he sees the little video clip of the business, let's just say it happens then. But um, I thought that in a lot of ways, you know, aside from the innovative storytelling, I thought in a lot of ways this was kind of old-fashioned storytelling. I mean, you know, the, uh, the strike bits and the union bits brought back to me, you know, I was thinking of on the waterfront, you know, the classic like strike movies when Americans used to make like movies about workers, you know, and about strikes and, and unions and union busters and whatnot. Um, so I liked that aspect of it a lot. And plus, you know, to me, of course, they were on the right side. It was the workers being represented. I thought this was interesting. I thought the relationships were great. Um, it's too bad they don't have an Oscar for best jewelry because (laughs) absolutely this movie would have bagged one for our hero's girlfriend's earrings, which was just amazing. My God, I, I, if anybody can actually wear them, I would be amazed. How did she do it? They must have been made out of like, I don't know, tin or something, aluminum. Um, I mean, what, what else can I say about this movie? I'm sorry it didn't get more recognition. However, I am happy that it made it to uh, the streaming services because, again, this was a movie that was based on an idea that was in limbo for a good five years or so went through print medium, you know, various forms and got to various people and whatnot before finding Forrest Whitaker, who bankrolled a whole bunch of it. So thank God for him. Uh, but I don't know. It's probably not for everybody. <laughs> what <laughs> we'll did, find what, out. What did you think, Rachel? I really like this movie. I thought it was a lot Yay. of fun. The twist got me. Um, yeah, there was, I couldn't, I wasn't able to put, words to it but i think you just did it something about it does feel very old-fashioned the storytelling of it um but i just yeah i was like there's something about it that seems classic and old-fashioned i think that's what it is um yeah it reminded me of get out it was 2018's get out and yay an asian there's an asian in it yeah yeah he was like (laughs) steve young the strike leader steve young from uh walking dead yeah yeah um Mm, that's right i now i will say i i really well Let's say I first of all, I love the over the top motifs that they had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought it was hilarious, like the huge line of coke that Army Hammer's character does, or, or the, for some a normal line of coke, but you know, for some, yes, no judgment, <laughs> a little bit of judgment, just a little bit. Um, the access code that he had to punch in to get to yeah. the top floor. Oh my gosh, I didn't think that was gonna end. I was like, okay, that was funny. Oh, it still goes. Yeah, and then it gets to that point where it's like. It's so uncomfortable that you have to laugh. Right. 
I think that's usually what it is that gets me. Um, and then the telemarketing caricatures. I kind of caricatures. I kind of wish that they had done more because they had showed so much of it in the trailer. I thought they were going to do more of that. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen Stranger Than Fiction at all. Like a lot of that uh, surreal where his desk drops through the floor mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. ends up somewhere else. A little bit more of that. I was kind of expecting that just because that those were basically half of the trailer moments. So mm. the fact that yeah, that made up yeah, maybe yeah. like 2% of the movie, I was a little bummed by. I kind of like that like kooky stuff. But see, but see, that was a plus because Get Out, so much of Get Out was ruined because it was marketed as what it was mm-hmm. right and it gave the twists away yeah this one yeah. did not it got you in there it's about a dude who pretends to be white who's a telemarketer yeah great good come yeah and, and then, then get your mind blown and a couple get of your times. mind blown <laughs> yeah and so i i was a little bit surprised that i didn't hear more people talking about this after seeing it yeah i was like why why wasn't there more buzz about this there was some maybe it was because it seemed artsy that people didn't want to go see it i don't know um, I thought uh, the performances were good. I felt like the, I think maybe what hurt it a little bit with the popular audience was the fact that it was kind of genre bending. I didn't mind it too much, personally. Um, the one, the bone that I do have to pick was the character development. I think they focused so they focused so much on the themes that I didn't feel that the relationships were terribly strong and the characters were as developed as they could be. Um, when Stephen Yoon's character and Tessa Thompson's character almost get together, it didn't feel like there was as much risk as there should have been. There should, mm-hmm. I thought the stakes should have been a little bit higher. Um, just things like that. Tiny. These are me nitpicking again, but mm-hmm. overall, fun movie. Loved it. Would watch again. Um, I to me, I've never done drugs, but I feel like th- if I did do <laughs> drugs, this movie would have been like awesome. <laughs> yeah. For me, I, I didn't like it as much as you guys did. Um, I feel like w- watching this movie, there's so many things going on. I didn't know where to sit down. Like the th- there's so many themes going on. There's the character stuff, you know, there's the, uh, ho- the hopeful, uh, affair that Steve was trying to, uh, perpetrate with Tessa. And then there was the union stuff. And then there was this whole other, like, you know, genetic thing that was going on. And visually, like my favorite part was when the desks were falling through. Because I was a telemarketer in high school. And I oh, thought yeah. that was a great, it was just a great visual of, I loved of what it. we're going through. Yeah. yeah, it was awesome. And then so I thought, oh, okay, this is kind of going to be one of those movies. But then it, it, then that stopped and then it was something else. And I thought right. for me, there was just, I'm not into movies that so much going on. Like I just want to sit and then just focus and, and rest on one one aspect and there was just so many things going on so like visually and all that stuff it wasn't made for me um I, I know there's movies out there that are great that do this really well um and then once i found out that this was boots riley's first screenplay i got it i understood because when you went your first screenplay you fall into the pit the, the pitfall of this is my only screenplay so I'm going to put every single idea I've ever had into this one screenplay because I don't know if I'm going to write another one because yeah. this is hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's why when I, I, I realized, oh, it's, this, is, this is what he fell victim to. And now I have to watch this. And so it, it's... <laughs> no, no, no. What, what, wait a minute. No, so wait a minute. Like wait a minute. Stuff. Time I, out. Time I, out. Yeah, time yeah. out. I mean, I mean, look. Look at it. Think about it this way. When he's doing this, he's unfettered. Mm-hmm. 
right? That's the thing. He can do what he wants. Oh, no, yeah. Once he gets the contract, it's going to be, you do this, introduce a sidekick or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, 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 so, so to the writer, to the director, to the creative person, that's freedom, man. Oh, that's like, you put everything out there because it's fun. Totally. But that doesn't mean I have to like it. That doesn't work for you, though. That doesn't mean I have to like it. And it doesn't mean that my body and my mind and heart will be like, oh, this is awesome because he has freedom. There's a you know there's a reason why there's studio notes other than to feed the studio executive's ego. There's a reason why it's because it's to rein it in somewhere in the middle, and I feel like when you're somewhere in the middle, it it it, it work. That's when things start to work. But when it's all like because not not every director's cut is good. Actually, like almost no director's cut is good because well, it's so it's so because it, they have the freedom to do what they want, and then you realize Blade oh, Runner. You know what? Yeah, you cut it. This needed in that. Yeah, yeah, you cut it out. Right. And right. so I feel like someone needed to rein boots in and be like, "Hey, look, you've got like several things going on here. Why don't you focus on like one or two, and then really drive that message home?" But like, because that 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 last act really was just like, where did this come from? <laughs> There was no seeds it's planted. It's the future. Yeah, it's there, the future. There were no seeds planted other than what is that company doing? Right, like, right, what, right, uh, right. What, what, what was the company called? The What's Anywhere or Who's Anywhere? Or free, 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 free. That was the only seed that was planted. It was like, but you, but we thought we knew what they were doing because right. of the commercials. So then we got, we kind of got hoodwinked. And then we're like, oh, that no. Was the first, that was the first twist is when he got promoted. And he's yes. like, okay, now you're going to be telemarketing the good stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it's worry-free. And yeah, it's, it's worry-free. Yeah, and it's the and, ultimate. Like, but it, it, was, kind of it was so sinister, though. You know there's yeah. something behind yeah. it, right? And you, you knew see, I, that was enough for me. Uh, see, and then for me, like, when it got to this, I was like, if they, for me, if they planted some seeds uh, in the first act, uh-huh. you know, just, just a little, 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 little seed, then like, oh, you know what? Then it would have been cool to th- look back in the first act and go, oh, okay, I, I see what they did there and where they're going. But with this, it just came out of left field. And I was just like, okay, yeah, like this is, it, it lost me on all those things. And then like avant-garde art stuff, I'm not a fan of, not in, uh, in terms of movies, but like in terms of actual avant-garde art, which is what Tessa Thompson's character is into. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, okay. Um, I, I don't well, know how. Like performance art. Yeah, right? performance, to, yeah. To honest, yeah. I don't know how Boots got all these pretty quality actors in it um, because it's probably, they probably got paid their minimum. Oh yeah. If anything, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause there's a bunch of people in, in this movie uh, that, that you're like, I'm like, Whoa, what, what, where did they Cause the thing appealed people? to them. I mean, yeah. It, I mean, I mean, it must've so, appealed to them on a certain yeah. level, on a, a level, you know? Yeah. Um, but for, yeah, me watching it, uh, this is one of those movies. If I saw again on cable, like flipping through, I'd be like, I would look back and go, Oh, I remember that. And then the next channel, <laughs> like, wow, I, I flipped through. Wow. Yeah. I mean, because the, the message me. for me and then I, I, I get the whole like big picture message of it all. Um, but there was for me, it was so hard getting there because of all the different things that were going on. I, I would have loved if, if he just rested on the characters with, with, with uh, the two, the two leads, the female, female lead, or if he just rested on the telemarketing aspect of it or, you know, or if he wanted to do the genetic stuff kind of plant the seeds and kind of have carry that through. But I just thought there was just way too much going on. And um, it really is. It's, it's that first time screenwriter mentality, um, right or wrong, but it's that first time where you're just like, I got to fit every idea I've ever had. Cause I feel like that he had his friends with him. Hey, what do you think about this? Oh, that's hilarious. Okay, let's put it in. And, and that's what happens is you got to learn how to cut all that out. You got to cut the fat out. I guess. But I mean, this again, this thing was kicking around for years. Yeah, but I you mean, guys, I'm sure he shaped it. But you guys liked it. So I think for you guys, it worked for you guys. Like you guys, you guys, uh, like that, this is your vehicle. It was great. For me, yeah, it's just one of those like, uh, I think I'm more mainstream when it comes to like 
I'm totally into unique you know. films. I'm totally into yeah, unique you, films. You, so, yeah, something I like, like the something stuff. like being John Malkovich floats my boat. I mean, something that's like it's not been done before. It's completely different. You know, that's because you guys yeah. are. I think on this film in particular, you're. you're the, I think you've been more enthusiastic about this film, talking about this film, than like other films that you've liked from the podcast that we've done. So I don't know. Funny. I don't. I don't know if this is your. Fa- I don't. I can't see it's your. The favorite, favorite film. was really good. Yeah, Spider Man. So you guys like Spider-Man this is my a lot. second favorite film of last year. I would say. Yeah, you guys, I feel like your enthusiasm for this film is, is pretty big. I don't know where I would put it in. I was just trying to rank things, and I was like, I don't know where I'd put it, but I, I, I enjoyed it. The twist was great. Um, well, the most important question is, is, do you like this movie less or more than Roma? That's the, the true <laughs> mark for the great movie. Wow, thank you. I did want to say, though, um, before we move on to the next segment, based on your specs of you liking the desk crashing through uh-huh. and not too much going on, you would like Swiss Army uh, Man. You Swiss the, Army there's Man. a lot of crazy you like, visuals you liked and not too better. much going on. I did like Endgame better. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, I don't mind crazy visuals. Did you guys ever see The Cell with the great actress Jennifer yes. Lopez? Yes. No. Uh-huh. Um, do you remember that, that scene when they're doing the vivisection? They're doing the live vivisection yeah. of like, the horse. I love that vi- the visuals of that. Um, Dark City with Rufus Sewell. That yes. was a great visual. That was visually great. And that theme was great. The, the way they did it at the end. Um, but this, I felt like there was just so much going on. I just felt like hmm. I, I, I need drugs, <laughs> like to really accept and enjoy this. Not that that's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that, that's why I said that line of coke. I feel like that's just Tuesday. You know? <laughs> <laughs> For this episode, we watched Shazam in the theaters. This is directed by David F. Sandberg. Starring Zachary Levi, Mark Strong, and Asher Angel. Based on the DC comic book series from a screenplay by Henry Gaiden, the film stars Asher Angel as Billy Batson, a teenage boy who can transform into an adult superhero, played by Zachary Levi. It is the seventh movie in the DC universe, and hopefully a sign that DC has found its footing as to the possibilities of its intellectual properties. Now, let's see. I'm going to throw this one to Walter. What did you think? Um, I, I enjoyed it. But I felt like, um, what's his name, David Sandberg, or David F. Sandberg, uh, I felt like he didn't know whether to go full-on kids movie or adult movie. And I don't mean adult like it's in rated R, but just like a, a movie made for adults. I, I felt that way too. Yeah, like I felt like, you know, like when you play basketball and you don't know if you should try to swish the ball in or bank it off and then you end up just hitting the middle of the rim because you're just not sure <laughs> what to do. I feel like that's what he did with this movie is he hit that middle of the rim, that corner, that wedge spot between the backboard and, and, the, and the basket. Um, I enjoyed it though. It might also be because I, I like, I'm a fan of Zach Levi's from when he was in Chuck. Uh, and I just thought it was fun. Like, the whole thing was just fun. I just wish that he made a commitment. Like, I'm going to make this a kid's movie. I'm going to make it kind of a superhero movie for adults. Um, but I, I just, because of that, I, I was just very torn, like, a, a lot of them in, in a lot of the movie. But um, I didn't know, I don't know much about Shazam. And that's to say I only know about the uniform that, that Shazam wears. And the magic word, right? Yes, yeah, the magic Shazam, word. Yeah, right. I don't that's know the one thing I need. Beyond that, right. I don't know anything. And I don't know if this is a spoiler so I don't know if I should say it, but like towards the it's end. It's been out for a oh, while. Been, okay. Yeah. When the family all transformed. Yeah, that was great. I thought that was, I was so fun. I was not expecting Yeah, that. I thought I was that was so fun. That. Ross um, Butler's in there. Yeah, it was just, I, I really, I thought though that um, I wish that happened earlier just so I could enjoy it that much longer. Like, cause I wanted to, I loved uh, Megan Good's, like how, how she kind of embodied that little girl. I don't, I don't know her name. Uh, 
I wanted to see more of them as adults with the personalities of the, as they were kids. Like a Seth Cohen is one of them. I just, I just thought I really enjoyed that. And you, you had a couple moments when they first became the, the, the superheroes and you saw their characters come out. I thought, oh, this is great. This is so fun. And then they had to go fight. And then when they came back, you saw a little bit more of it. And then that was it. And I wish they came in earlier. Um, I wish because I wanted to see them deal with being in a, in, in a physically adult body. I wanted to see them as kids deal with that. Like, yeah, like how, yeah. how, like what, what's going on here? And I thought um, it was pretty accurate when Zach Levi's character goes into like the convenience store and tries to get beer. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that when they try to get when they try to get a lady. And he hates it. Or even yeah. when he hates it. it. Or even when he's in his adult body and he still can't figure out like how to coordinate his limbs because yeah. they're yeah. so yes. much longer. Yeah. yeah. And he's tripping yeah. over like the subway bench. All that. Yeah. I, I like that's the stuff I really I really enjoy. Like when we, when we talked about Iron Man. I, like I remember one of the complaints of Iron Man was is we wanted to see Tony Stark as a billionaire. We want to see that more because it was so fun. And then with this too, the adjustment that they had to go through with their adult bodies, that, that's what I was very interested in seeing. And we got little snippets of it with the family together. But to me, it's just a very fun ride. And I hope that they do sequels and, and, and the, you know, the thirds or whatever you call those because um, it's just fun. And, 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 they, and every actor they picked is very wholesome. Zach Levi yeah. is a very wholesome mm-hmm. yeah. actor. Yeah. Seth Cohen, Megan Good is—I mean, in real life, not as wholesome, but she did a pretty good job she portraying, job. yeah, this yeah. wholesome character. And the Asian guy that's in there—I don't know his name. Um, he, you know, he seemed pretty wholesome. He's the guy you bring home. Uh, you I know. think he's in Riverdale. Is he in Riverdale? I think so. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there, there you go. He's in Riverdale. <laughs> more, so obviously, like, more wholesome obviously than that. five people watch Riverdale uh, on, <laughs> on the CW. And to uh, <laughs> to all the boys that I've loved before, he's going to be in the next installment of that. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so hopefully he, he does well. And so, yeah, I, I had a good time watching it. But, again, I don't rank it as, like, a really good movie just because wow. I felt so torn between, like, what, like if, if he made a commitment, like, you know what, I'm going to make it a kid's see, movie. See, I thought that was amazing. I thought that the insane juxtaposition was a plus. Okay. Okay. Think about the bad guy in this film. I mean, he is freaking dark, right? He's I mean, dark. he has a tortured childhood. You know, it's almost like this Dickensian childhood, except it's in the 20th century, 21st century. Okay. And and he becomes this guy. He's this living embodiment of the seven deadly sins, right? And he's <laughs> up against this guy who's like a kid making YouTube videos. Yeah. I mean, I thought that was amazing. Like, okay. There's one bit where they go to the, apparently, they go to the same toy store that Tom Hanks did in Big. Yeah, was, <laughs> right? I, I like that uh, reference and, there. Right. You thought and there I, was going to be a sweet yeah. musical right. moment and you just like get right. smashed right. through the window. You thought they were going to like do this. Instead, the dude is running up and he looks like a tough guy, but you still get the dunk, 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 yeah. dunk, yeah. dunk, dunk, <laughs> It's just, see, it was amazing like that because yeah. that's Shazam. And... DC, take note. This is the way you should be doing movies. Not always. Wonder Woman was good. Yeah. And that was mostly dramatic. It did have light moments, though. But this is the way you should be doing movies. And here's the other thing that really blew me away. Notice how it entrenched itself in the DC universe. Yeah. In like 30 seconds worth of film, you get that mind-blowing ending. Mm-hmm. love the cameo at the end, the, the non-cameo cameo, <laughs> right? The headless cameo. Yeah. Love that, okay? And, and they didn't have to be 
heavy-handed about it. You didn't have to do 30 minutes on Cyborg's origin. You, know? no. you didn't have mm-hmm. to do Batman creating the Batarang and then losing it in a fight and then this kid finds it. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it was just there because people know Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. They trusted that, yeah. Right, That's and again, we've talked about this on this show before. They believed in the material. They invested in the yeah. material. And it was a good movie. This is This is... Good old-fashioned superhero movies. This is like Iron Man. I mean, not that that's old-fashioned, but no, this is yeah. it's a fun movie about people that are cool, and you know, there's lots of funny one-liners, and you know, and I love it. there. There's a classic bit. You got to have this bit in every superhero movie, I think, where you have a battle between two sides, and you want both of them to lose. So in this case, it was like the CEOs of like yeah, this yeah. one percent <laughs> company and the demons from hell. Right? Yeah. Who do you cheer for? Who do you cheer for? Yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to see Mark Strong's character do do more evil before Shazam takes him out. I just thought his quest was to get the Shazam's power, and you know maybe they're gonna do other stuff. Did that in, feel in too one note for you? Yeah, I, th- I thought I wanted to see him be evil, like really evil. Um, that was pretty evil. Oh, you mean killing the the company? But they're a bad company, so it's he, okay. No, no, he threw <laughs> his brother he out the window. The dude yeah. out the window. That yeah. is amazing. No, but that brother, that he deserved to be chucked out of the window. Was, I would hate to be your brother. No, but 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 the way he treated him though, he blamed he blamed his brother for the accident. He blamed his brother for everything. It wasn't his fault. Like any practical person would see that it wasn't his fault. But he lived with that his whole life. So that's like, what the, happens when you don't go to therapy. That's true. Yeah, but all the CEO, all the, all the company dying, it was fine. I, I didn't think it was evil, evil because like you were saying, there's there are two evils there. Who 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 should win? Yeah, out? exactly. Uh, I wanted to see him wreak more havoc. Like maybe one with like, scene with like innocence. Yeah, like one scene wreaking havoc, and then Shazam coming. Then it, you know, because I love I love Mark Strong. I think he's great at everything, every, every role he plays, and uh, he played a great villain in this because he was still likable because you felt sorry for him. Of course, you felt sorry for the guy. Yeah, and so there was that aspect of it where I think uh, today actors don't do that. They don't try to be likable. They think they're the evil villain. Or they don't. They're not allowed evil. to be vulnerable. Yeah, and they need to be like. Jack Nicholson is probably one of the best villains of, of all time because he's so likable in all, in all his villain <laughs> yeah. roles. He's yeah. so likable. And there's something to that. There's a lot to that, actually. But um, I, I really, yeah, I enjoy Shazam. And I do, like, what, what's great about this, comparing it to the other DC films like um, Batman and uh, Superman and all that, is that he, he is vulnerable. There's something fun to yeah. it. Uh, and I'm not saying that the Dark Knight has to go campy again or Superman should go campy, but it's just something, there's an element of fun that, hey, guys, this is a, a, a comic book. This isn't real life. Whereas like the right, latest right, DC, right. yeah, it's so real life. At heart, there is an element of, okay, if you don't want to call it silliness, fine, okay? There's this element of myth, right? Larger than life, more colorful than life. This is one thing that's really missing from all these movies, Marvel and DC, is color, a lot of times. One of my favorite comic book movies is uh, Dick Tracy, if only for the color palette. You know, yeah. went out of his way to make everything four color, right? There's not enough that look like that. And of course, Shazam is a walking comic, yeah. comic mm-hmm. book, you know? It looks great. You know, it looks fantastic. Instead of making Superman this dark blue, they should, you know, brighten it up a yeah. bit. I mean, it looks fantastic. And, and here's the other thing. An important part of this movie, an important part of this character is... He looks up to Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right? That's part of the point. Yes. Super- One of my favorite Superman bits ever is at the beginning of Batman and Superman. It's Batman, uh, no, Justice League. And everybody hates it because they had to CGI the actor's mouth back on. It was a stupid story. 
but it's just this bit where these little kids are like interviewing him and it's done from this really low angle and they're asking him all these questions that kids would ask and and you know he's larger than life he looks the way he would look to a kid big and super powerful and wonderful and magical you know and i mean that's the thing about shazam he sees superman yeah. like that mm-hmm. and that's important mm-hmm. to any dc movie but they're rarely able to pull that off it's the chris reeve pulled this off yeah. in his movies he was great at that because mm-hmm. he would be clark kent the dweeb and then he didn't have to do anything and he would turn into superman yeah mm-hmm. and, and then kids loved him in the movie and, you know i think that's great. what's great about shazam the point that you mentioned Oz, about him looking up to superman is that that's his flaw his vulnerability yeah is that he doesn't think of himself as a superhero because he's no. not yet yeah. in his mind he's not but physically he is uh, he's just not one yet and so there's a relate you can relate to that as you're watching this and you're like oh what would happen it's like that TV show The Greatest American Hero oh yeah yeah yeah, 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 William uh, I forgot his name William Cat yeah uh, and uh, Robert Culp was in there he didn't want to be a superhero but he got this suitcase and he's a superhero and it's the show's about him dealing with becoming a superhero he has to learn the powers he loses the instructions to the suit (laughs) it's a great show it's really one of the few shows from the 80s that I'll recommend yeah Yeah, very underrated so you know in the scene where Shazam tries to fly he doesn't know how yeah Every episode, he does, right. William Cat doesn't know how to fly because he doesn't have the instruction manual. Yeah. So he's flying through the air with his arms flailing, right. getting, trying to get to the place he has to go to. Oh, my god! And so there's a vulnerability and relatability to that, which I think was Shazam captures. Yes. yes. I yeah. just wish he committed to kids movie or adult movie. Okay. I just, I think that's what's, that's a huge missing part of what's going on with the DC movies. Like I haven't seen most of them in full ex- with the exception of this one and Wonder Woman. But, oh, the good ones then. Good. Okay. Thank you. Um, so, like, basically, vulnerability is such a key ingredient to all of this. Mostly for me. I don't know if I don't want to speak for you guys, but when I see vulnerable acting, a vulnerable performance, a vulnerably written character, I feel that they're being honest. When a character is too strong or too OP, you know, almost like I didn't see, I didn't see Captain Marvel. But I felt like in Endgame, she was too OP, too overpowered. I was just like, I can't, I can't root for her. She's, she can, why does she not take Thanos out? She has to fly off to other planets. Fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, when I, when I see a character being vulnerable, I feel like, okay, they're not hiding things from me. They're not lying to me. I'm yeah. not being pandered to. Yeah. I don't know. Is that the same for you guys? What is it about vulnerability that makes it that secret sauce? Well, well see, see, I don't necessarily agree. It depends who the character sure. is. I mean, again, like you can exploit that in somebody like uh, Superman, for mm-hmm. example. You know, his vulnerability is, you know, again, he doesn't really believe he's a god either. And he basically is. You know, he's a farm boy from Kansas. You know, to be honest, he can't even get a date with Lois Lane, right? You know, so so I guess the all characters, but don't all characters do right? That's what they tell you about story writing. Every character has a flaw. Yeah, well, they're supposed to. They're supposed to. And if it's a drama, he <laughs> that is his downfall. And if it's a comedy, he man versus that to self. Game. Yeah, exactly. But I think current they don't they don't do that, and actors don't want to be vulnerable because they probably don't know how to do it because it's not an easy thing. Well, to they don't do. know how to play Superman and Batman either, and those no. guys are supposed to be like you know impregnable. That's yeah. the thing. If you play those guys, then Wonder Woman, if you play them like gods, naive gods, if you will, but still gods, right? And then play all the other superheroes looking up to them. That, that's the way you're supposed to do it. Shazam should be vulnerable. Yeah. You know, maybe mm-hmm. Aquaman mm-hmm. should have been vulnerable. By the way, this movie was better than Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get that in. By there. how much? Oh, almost everything is better than Aquaman. <laughs> Justice League was well better than Aquaman. Oh, my gosh. 
But yeah, I, I walked out really liking Shazam as well. I, I had some trouble with the fact that it was really, really dark at some points and mm. then really like a family movie at yeah. others. But at the very end, I was like, okay, it didn't mess with me too much. But like, maybe that's why the trailer was so difficult for me to ingest. I watched the trailers when it, um, I forget what movie I went to go see and it had the trailer before it. But I was like, this looks terrible. This looks awful. Because yeah, yeah, the, you were telling me that. Yeah, the trailer moments were just like, they were overly campy and insincere at the same time when in fact you watch Shazam and Zachary Levi has that sincerity that mm-hmm. we love about him. That's why he is so bankable. That's why he's so marketable because he has that honest sincerity, yeah. that vulnerability. They didn't show that in the trailer. And then I think the other problem with the trailers, they didn't show a lot of the kids that were cast. And I thought um, the kid that plays Billy Batson did a fantastic job. I was like, I we I hope we see more from this kid. There's something about his, he's got that, that it, mm-hmm. that cin- cinematic presence. Um, and then the kid, Freddie, the, the other little boy, I thought he was fantastic too. He's like good. he could play really annoying at times. And then you, other times you're really rooting for him. He's, he's really good. He was in a short-lived sitcom with uh, John Larroquette. Uh, me, myself, and I mm-hmm. on CBS. He's oh, really good. I remember this. Yeah. <laughs> it was it on Fox? No, I think it was on Fox, maybe. But yeah, no, he's really good. Yeah. Kid. I thought Digimon Hunsu, the mm-hmm. guy that mm-hmm. played, I, I thought he was just, I felt like he phoned it in. I, yeah. Every, every time he was on screen, I was like, oh. I thought, I wasn't, I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be really campy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Initially, it towed the I line. That, but, oh. I wish they'd committed to one or the other. Yeah. He's, I don't know. Yeah. He just was. He isn't believable at all. Mm. He's more believable in Gladiator. Oh God, <laughs> can't possibly be. Have you seen Have you seen the Lego Movie? No, I'm a grown man. I don't really watch cartoons. The Lego Movie is amazing. Do you I've know the Morgan Morgan Freeman's character in the Lego Movie? Yes, he looked just like uh, Digimon's character. Oh. Did you notice that? <laughs> well, I, now that you're saying it, I guess <laughs> it's not. It's not the first thing that occurred to me. But yeah, maybe no. It is. Like their outfits it's, are it's the same. The, it's from the Lego set. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I it is. It's exactly the same. It's his Lego doppelganger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was a fun movie. Um, yeah, I, I would have a hard time recommending it, though, just because it's so dark but so family-friendly at the same time. Ooh, yeah. I wouldn't know how to, yeah, who to recommend it to, I guess. My whole family loved it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's a fun, it's a, total, it's a family movie, but yeah, you're right. There are dark. It's pretty There's dark. There's some dark things, like the, the car crash. That was super yeah. dark. I and was then, like, oh, okay, you know, I didn't realize it was going to be like this. And then it got fun. And then it wasn't. The yeah. <laughs> See, that's yeah. where I think he he didn't commit to which way he wanted to go. Yeah. I think he was just kind of like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> ah, with deadlines tomorrow? All right, Maybe. Here's a cut. Was, was he trying to keep it somewhere in the middle? <laughs> I think that's what he was trying to do. And then what happens is you don't make the basket. Yeah. To, to use my basketball analogy. Mm-hmm. You just don't make the basket. And so I hope for the next one they make a commitment, whether it's going to be a kid's movie or it's going to be like kind of well, more the next one is probably going to be uh, the Shazam family. Yeah, which will be fun. Which is yeah, yeah this is what it I hope be. it's them. Because, the Shazamily because they're setting Sh- it, yeah the Shazam family. Shazamily. Shazamily. Because it used to be Captain Marvel, so it used to be the Marvel family. Right, but you yeah. can't do that anymore. This has been Guffin Report. Rachel Wong, Oz Davis, Walter Hall, produced by
Bye.